Hello, my name is Helena Yeaman and I am the Social Impact Manager for Modern Slavery in Ashurst. This year, we are celebrating 200 years of Ashurst and there are many activities taking place throughout the year to mark this significant milestone. The Pro Bono and Social Impact team particularly wanted to honour our founder, William Ashurst, who was a progressive advocate, deeply committed to social justice, particularly women's equality and the abolition of slavery. Furthermore, William's four daughters, Elizabeth, Matilda, Caroline and Emily, poured their energy into the fight to abolish slavery and to attain equality for women. What William's daughters achieved in their lifetime is remarkable, and we chose to name four of our key initiatives after them in our Modern Slavery Action Plan, which recognises the continued growth of all forms of modern slavery and where we, as a firm, have a role in combating slavery and the steps we can take to achieve this with our colleagues, clients and other stakeholders. Through this, we not only connect our future efforts to the Asher's family's historical work, we also pay a long overdue public tribute to William's four incredible daughters. This episode is the first in a four-part series to talk about each Ashurst daughter and their legacy. Today, we're discussing why we set up the Matilda Ashurst Anti-Slavery Fellow Grant and what that involved. We know that Matilda was a passionate advocate for the abolition of slavery and continued her abolition efforts throughout her life. For example, she developed an international network of like-minded thinkers and befriended American abolitionists such as William Lloyd Garrison and Lucretia Mott. Matilda attended the World Anti-Slavery Convention with William Ashurst in 1840 and is described as having been roused to white heat over the treatment of female campaigners in attendance. The Anti-Slavery Society, which was a precursor to Anti-Slavery International, otherwise known as ASI, was also in attendance, which is why we decided to set up the Matilda Ashurst Anti-Slavery Fellow Grant, as this 10-year funding commitment plays a key role in ASI's efforts to eradicate slavery. Our guest today is the CEO of ASI, Jasmine O'Connor, OBE, who is going to tell us more about their work and how the Matilda Ashurst Grant has benefited them as an organisation so that we can understand more about Matilda's legacy. Jasmine, can you tell us a little bit about ASI and its evolution and focus today? Absolutely. Anti-slavery actually has its roots in the original movement to abolish the slave trade, uh, something that was finally achieved in an act of parliament in 1807. And since then, anti-slavery and its many, many allies around the world have been pushing for slavery uh, and an end to slavery-like practices in every country. I don't know whether you, you know, but the, the last country to, to do this was uh, in 1981, and it was Mauritania, where we actually do have some programmes. You know, and today, our purpose is very, very clear. It's to make slavery a thing of the past and ensure freedom from slavery for everyone, everywhere. You know, a lot of people still, I find, think that slavery ended with the transatlantic slave trade. But of course that isn't true. And today there are over 40 million people in modern slavery. So while the chains and cuffs are no longer common, there are invisible chains of deception, debt bondage, and then laws that just aren't effective enough to protect people 
from being trafficked and enslaved. So that's why we exist. We do what we do because the problem is out there and our legacy, you know, continues today. Thanks. I mean, 40 million across the globe, that is just terrifying. I mean, what do we say to our listeners who don't think that slavery is in their backyard? You know, a lot of people might be listening from the UK or Australia and think, oh, well, there's no slavery where we live. Can you perhaps... Uh, give us examples or discuss what's happening in plain sight? Absolutely. I think that's a really good question because, as you say, you know, you, you don't see the visible signs unless you really understand what you're, you're looking for. So in the UK, there are numerous industries and numerous ways in which people enslave. You know, think of county lines, for example, drug trafficking, where young people are forced Uh, into criminality um, through often very violent threats. Think, for example, of uh, forced labour on fruit farms where people are, again, forced into labour with perhaps their passports having been taken away so that they can't leave. They might have insecure immigration status. And so that's something that a trafficker might exploit. All sorts of examples. In fact, if you think of any industry or any kind of uh, commerce, there is likely to be some kind of of forced labour in it at some point. And we we tend to work with the drivers of modern slavery. So understanding the sort of intersection, if you like, of of poverty, weak laws, discrimination, the things that combine to make someone vulnerable and enable someone to exploit uh, another human being. And, you know, when we're trying to tackle slavery, that's that's what we we focus on, trying to get a change to those drivers, to the systems, if you like, that that underpin this this huge problem. What has the Matilda Asher's Anti-Slavery Fellow Grant meant to ASI? Well, since 2020, the Matilda Ashurst Fellowship has enabled ASI to fund parts of two absolutely critical roles. So firstly, our UK and Europe manager. Now this role is really important for a global organization like anti-slavery, because we know, as I've just explained, slavery happens in the UK as well as overseas. And so as a global organization, we want to be working on slavery at home and abroad and bringing it to an end. So it's really important that we you know, have the kind of people power to be able to put pressure on our own government to protect people who are in or vulnerable to slavery um, and and in a sense to do at home what we do around the world. So we're working to engage parliamentarians right across the political spectrum to push for improvements on how survivors are identified and supported on their road to full recovery. And it's the case in the UK that victims of slavery are more likely to be criminalised and rates of conviction for traffickers are woefully low. So we think the government needs to do more in this country to uh, reassert its focus on modern slavery. So Jasmine, what does this mean in practice? Well, in the UK, our, our work really has focused on understanding the experiences of people who have been in slavery and beginning to really make sure that their voices are being 
listened to in the sort of work to change policy, because from, you know, our understanding of anti-slavery, you're only going to get good policy and good law if you really understand the dynamics of slavery. And the people who understand those dynamics are, are well, they're the traffickers, actually, and they're the people who've been enslaved. So we're working very closely with survivors to make sure that their experiences and understanding get out there. So in 21 and 22, we work with survivors to create podcasts and reports on their experiences and make sure that really we're able to kind of push the UK government to reform its support system for survivors of slavery so that it becomes fairer, is informed by the traumatic experiences that, that people um, have had and is supportive enough to heal people and support people to, to rebuild their lives. Because actually, you know, that helps to prevent slavery as well. When people's lives are rebuilt, they are less likely to be pulled back into trafficking or pulled back into to vulnerability. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? Because so many people do end up being re, re-exploited because they're so vulnerable and it's so hard to get out. Can we just explore this a bit further? Is there an inconsistency between what survivors need and what the experts think they need? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there really, there really <laughs> is. Um, and, and the recent research that was undertaken by, by survivors and published by anti-slavery partners at the Anti-Trafficking Monitoring Group um, found that support to, that was provided to survivors by the UK government was actually woefully inconsistent uh, and was sometimes putting survivors at risk again. And so really one of the key takeaways is that you know every survivor is on a different journey and a different course and every journey to recovery is also therefore unique and so our systems and the provisions that are made have got to be really person-centered and that's that's a challenge to get any kind of government set up or bureaucracy to be person-centered to uh, make sure that really it's 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 the the support is defined by the individual who is is needing the support um so that's really i guess one of the the key takeaways that we are um advocating for now that's so important yeah i i I was recently seconded to the independent anti-slavery commissioner's office and and that came across loud and clear as well as the, the other key issue is is around migration status Uh, So, first of all, there's not one size fits all in terms of the survivors of slavery. They all have such complex and different needs. But I thought that this was rather exacerbated by their problems around migration. What are your thoughts on that? We certainly have found in research that we've undertaken that people with irregular migration status in the UK are over four times less likely to be identified as victims of of trafficking, they often don't come. Often don't come forward in the the first place. And then, as a consequence, aren't provided with the relevant support and protection. And this again, you know, in turn leads to the crime of trafficking not being recognised and perpetrators being left free to to carry on as as normal. I think, you know, one definite concern 
that we have is with the new Nationality and Borders Act, because this puts a much higher onus on survivors of modern slavery and trafficking to have committed no crime in order for them to be supported. Um, and if you consider that 49% of people are exploited in different forms of criminal activity, it again means that people are having these barriers to, to support. So if, if an individual um, you know, has insecure immigration status and has often as a result of their slavery committed a crime, then they're you know, doubly less likely to get the support that they need and get full recovery because you know they they won't be coming they won't simply won't be coming forward for fear of being criminalized that's such a good point jasmine and i think perhaps it might be useful just to give an example to our listeners with regards to what sort of criminal activity these people are vulnerable to yeah i mean there's all sorts of examples and um, you know obviously county lines in in the uk british born victims and those from other countries being you know effectively forced to either grow and or sell drugs as a part of the the sort of traffickers criminal um outfit and obviously those two activities are are illegal uh, in this country and indeed you know individuals who are forced into that will you know undoubtedly be be fearful of coming coming forward and in terms of other countries can you think of an example perhaps for uh, the other side of the globe with our australian listeners i know i know that legislation is different there obviously but similar problems with criminal activity and being afraid to come forward can you think of any examples i think a lot of the countries that that we work in globally uh, tend to be countries where the mechanisms are sometimes slightly slightly different and the the jurisdictions every jurisdiction is different you know i've got no doubt that very similar examples will exist in in australia the work that we tend to do around the world is is very often with victims of trafficking in different industries in different different countries and often immigration status can play a part so for example with the in in the middle east there's a, a quite a number of people who are uh, trafficked for um either uh you know laboring type jobs from maybe parts of of africa and they might come on a, a, a tied visa to do that job and then what happens is maybe that job ends for some reason and they've been effectively tied to that um, employer and the job ends for some reason. And then, of course, their immigration status effectively is, is uh, insecure because that's been tied to that employer. And then they might find work with another employer and then actually that employer, you know, it exploits them and they aren't able to, to sort of come forward for support because, you know, they're, they're in that insecure immigration status and would be deported or would be uh, imprisoned. Uh, so that, I guess, is an example of, of the way this, this sort of criminality um, around immigration status can work in, in different jurisdictions. 
Can you tell me a bit about the second critical role that the Matilda Ashurst Fellowship is supporting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is the Support for a Business and Human Rights Manager. Our, our work on business and human rights really tackles um, slavery as a part of the challenge in our global supply chains. I think one area that that, that role is, is working on is that of state-sponsored forced labour. So for example, where cotton is picked by citizens uh, forced into fields each harvest time by the government. You know, you might be a doctor or a teacher or a school child. And, you know, at harvest time, that's it. You know, stop what you're doing. You're forced to go and pick cotton um, with absolutely no choice in the matter. And we work with a coalition of allies to get businesses to pledge not to source state-sponsored forced labour um, made goods. So we're working with government officials, the UN, to take action as well and push it, you know, pushing forward the right kind of, of, of policies. We actually worked for 10 years on this issue in, in, in Uzbekistan. And this past year saw a really positive response with the Uzbek government. Actually, it, it was reported that there was no forced labor evident in last year's harvest. Uh, that was sort of independently you know, verified by the ILO. So, you know, progress does get made. Um, I think the other area on that, the business and human rights side is that since 2017, we've been progressing a global response to the um, issue by pressing for legislation to implement um, what we call mandatory human rights due diligence for companies operating in the EU. And this would mean that we have a law that really makes sure that businesses actually have to consider uh, human rights fully in all of their, their work, both the way that they do business, but also their supply chains. Thank you. That's amazing. It's really good to hear good stories as well. And, uh, you know, the Uzbekistan example, I mean, I wonder if you had another sort of good story you could tell us, you know, what in terms of, you know, we, we hear so much negativity and it's really depressing, but it's good to hear what does work and what is working and where government does change and the, the, the wins that, you know, have you had any um, exciting wins over the last 12 months that you might give us an example of? Well, I think there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of um, incremental wins, <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. I don't feel as big as I want them to feel. But I think one of the other areas which is quite exciting that we've been working on is um, a marine cargo clause. So we've been working with our, our partners to look at a clause that basically makes it, you know, places a a clause in kind of marine cargo insurance to stop stop slavery and that means that you you know you can't you can't get your goods uh uh shipped if you haven't done the the right kind taken the right kind of steps to address uh slavery and basically that clause is being adopted by numerous insurance companies and and brokers and is effectively, you know, uh, uh, a sort of initiative in the private sector that is shifting 
the needle and creating change from where we sit as anti-slavery you know you need this tripartite response of I guess sort of civil society and, and, and private individuals acting as well as business as well as um, government and so that's quite an exciting development. That's so true. That's so important. Absolutely. And it's about influence, isn't it? And they, as you say, with the civil society, business and government, you know, when all three are working together, that's where change really happens. So we, we began our partnership uh, back in 2020. Has our partnership helped in any other way? Well, I think that there's a, there's a couple of really exciting ways that, that, that you've helped in, in addition to that which I've just described. Firstly, um, we've loved having the um, Caroline Ashurst, Ashurst awardee. So we had our, our first awardee come and work with us, uh, Adela Mackey, uh, I think last year, wasn't it? And she came um, as a sort of secondee to work with us, did a whole bunch of work, did some fantastic research on on uh, climate change with us, supported us in, in running events, in you know, doing briefings, et cetera, et cetera, and gave, I guess, uh, a, a really helpful perspective um, on our work coming from a slightly different you know, walk, of, walk of life. And as an individual who is just going into your, your firm, um, starting her career, um, I, I think it was a fantastic, way if you like of creating champions to sort of call for for the end of slavery so you know it excites me to know that she's going to go on in her career with that understanding and those perspectives so that that I think was was great it's lovely having her with us um, and I know that we'll be hosting another one soon which is really exciting the other thing really is that we really enjoy the pro bono support that you give us and you know that comes in all sorts of, of ways whether it's you know letting us use your lovely offices for, for our AGM um, or whether it's actually providing the kind of uh, legal advice that that we need from from time to time I think really because of what we we do creating systemic change um, to end slavery we need support in all sorts of of different ways um, and you know really being able to have support with um, you know whether it's our safeguarding efforts whether it's advising us on our contracts and negotiations or specific legal issues it's it's really been helpful and you know if, if people are listening to this you know there's lots of pro bono to, to to get get stuck into so you know if you're interested then I would urge you to to talk directly um with Helena and, and see how you might you might engage thank you yes and I should say certainly with regards to the Caroline Asherist award you know that is a two-way stream and we we really enjoyed having Adela join the firm having had six months experience with you she's now a fantastic ambassador for the cause but also she comes in the firm as a specialist knowing more about modern slavery than 
most of her colleagues. Um, so that was a really great opportunity for her too. Um, and yes, absolutely, with regards to pro bono, that's just you know part of our DNA. It's really important to us, particularly with our relationship with you. We want to offer as much pro bono support as we can around modern slavery. So absolutely, just keep on asking. <laughs> Brilliant, we will. <laughs> so it can seem a little overwhelming if you don't know much about the subject of modern slavery or you weren't aware that it's happening in your own backyard, so to speak. Um, what would you say to the listener who wants to help and doesn't know where to start? You know, I would, I would say the, the first place to start is to get educated, you know, learn a little more about it. Um, there's lots of great guides, resources, articles on our website, which is www.antislavery.org. And there's lots of resources on there that you can look at that will help you learn about slavery, both here in the UK and also in other jurisdictions around the world. So check check that out. Um, the main thing, I guess, to, to, to sort of look at is, is understanding it internationally, but also in your own, your own jurisdiction. So here in the, the UK, um, make sure you, you check that out and you don't get fall into this trap that it's all happening overseas and it's, it's not happening here. And then I think, you know, some practical ways really are to make um, conscious decisions with your purchases. So, you know, find out where your clothing, where your coffee, where your chocolate, you know, is coming from and really create awareness uh, around that with your, your friends and your your family. Then, of course, there are campaigns that anti-slavery runs from time to time. You know, for example, if we're seeking to influence legal change, you know, we might we might run uh, campaigns to create awareness with uh, MPs or to create um, awareness with um, businesses, for example. So, kind of look out for that as well. And you know, if you want to become a member of anti-slavery or a supporter of anti-slavery you know there's there's information on our website there that you can you can pick up as well so we can you know get those kind of actions to you if you want to if you want to do that I think the final area that I probably say is you know certainly you know considering that you're a you're a law firm is you know understand where the law is going and talk to your clients about it um, because the trajectory the direction of travel is more law that is, um, you know, there to uh, tackle things like supply supply chain slavery, and really good businesses need to be getting ahead of that that curve. So do consider bringing it into those conversations as as appropriate. Thank you. I think that's really helpful. So yeah, it's about education, educating ourselves, and those sort of small changes that we can make. And I think that's true. I mean, we can we all know about most of us know about sourcing coffee or chocolate and I think we're becoming more aware with clothing and um, certainly some of our large clothing um, businesses and fashion are, are being much more transparent about how they're sourcing their cotton and um, which factories they're working with and um, making sure that supply chain is as good as can possibly be. 
from our part, it's an enormous privilege to work with you and to learn from your expertise. We hope to continue our relationship beyond our 10-year commitment and to continue to educate and empower our colleagues and clients and other networks uh, to get involved in the anti-slavery movement. So thank you so much for your time, Jasmine. You're more than welcome. It's a, it's a pleasure and I think it's just a fantastic partnership and you know the commitment you've made gives us uh, the power if you like for us to continue to to fight slavery so thank you